Here I am. I am Pastor Tom. Um, Pastor Carl, um, if you weren't here last week, uh, Pastor Carl actually announced that he will be on a sabbatical for three months. So, um, and a sabbatical is not an extended vacation. It is a time of what I said in commandment four of the Sabbath. It's a time of rest and worship. You guys actually learned something. Some of you guys rest and worship. And so that's what Pastor Carl is going to do. He's going to rest, but he's also going to wor worship God, which means it's a, it's a uh, specific time to seek the Lord. And I believe the Lord is going to speak to him. And when he comes back, can you, I'm like, are you guys excited to hear what the Lord's going to say to him? I hope you guys are. But uh, in the time being, I will be the interim lead pastor of this church. So you got a new sheriff. <laughs> and so... <laughs> Barry White. Uh, sorry. If you don't know who Barry White is, well, I'm sorry you don't know who that guy is. But uh, we are in the Ten Commandments. If you don't know what we're going through, we're in the Ten Commandments. And um, if you're brand new to this church, like, what? Ten Commandments? I thought that's the old stuff. I want to learn the new stuff. And you know what? I've been learning a lot of new stuff about the old stuff. Have you? It's been practical, and so we are actually on the seventh week and on the seventh commandment, and last week was a cheery one, and this one was equally cheery. That's a joke, because last week was about murder, fun, right? Commandment number six is do not murder. This week is you must not commit adultery. Actually, let's turn there in Exodus 20, verse 14. You guys know where it is. We've been there for seven weeks. Exodus verse 20. When God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, this is number seven. You must not commit adultery. The message version is even simpler. No adultery. Which means don't do it. Right? This is one of the don't do ones. Right? And I just want to make sure that we start off right, that we know what, what God is actually asking what us what not to do. Uh, what is adultery? And so... Like a very astute pastor I am, I looked at Wikipedia. <clears throat> Wikipedia is always right. <laughs> and you're laughing for a reason. But I think they got it right on this one. Adultery is this, is the definition. It says sexual intercourse between a married person and someone other than their spouse. Is that your definition of adultery? I hope so. That's, that's what I think it is. And specifically what we're talking about here is sexual intercourse, the act of sexual intercourse outside of the confines of marriage. I say confines, but it's, it's this, this, this sacred thing that God has, has put together called uh, a man and a, and, a, and a woman, a husband and a wife coming together in this marriage. And having a sexual, sexual intercourse outside of that is called adultery, right? And so I want to make sure that we're, we're talking about marriage here. Right? We're not talking about premarital sex, which I believe that if you're single, you should abstain from. But I'm just, we're talking, what is God really saying here? Do not commit adultery. Do not go outside of the marriage. And I want to start out by saying a couple things. But this is the first thing I want to say. I want to make very clear that I say this. Sex is a good thing. <laughs> Married people, you better be celebrating right now because all the single people are like, huh? <laughs> right? Is it? It's okay to say that in church. Yeah, it is, Tom. Why? Because God made it. God created it. It's a God-given thing. But the awesome thing is he has, he has made it for a sacred and holy thing called marriage. And that, that's when it's awesome. That's when... <coughs> sorry. Get excited here. That's when it's at its best. That, actually, I don't even want to put at, at its best. That's what God made it for. This marriage, right? And I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to talk about it here because I don't really just want to talk about adultery because what we're talking about is marriage. 
And if you're sitting here and you're going, okay, and all you single people out there, please do not just go, oh, it's about marriage. I'm going to turn off for the next 30 minutes. This is for you too. Because all I know is that God absolutely loves when a man and a woman um, commit themselves to each other and he wants a strong families and a strong marriage. So if you're married, you're married. If, if you're single, you're going to be married someday. Hopefully. Right? It's going to happen. So here's my advice to you. Prepare yourself for it. Because it's an adventure, let me tell you, right? It's an adventure and you got to prepare yourself for it. But here's the other thing I want to make sure that I say. And it's, um, actually, I want to read a story about Jesus. And this is, when I think of adultery, this is actually the first thing I think of. This is the story about Jesus. Here's an instance in John verse eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 4. And you might know this story. It's an incredible story. It's <clears throat> when um, some of the Jews or some of the religious leaders, they actually caught a woman in the act of adultery. And so what happened is they drug her out and, and, they, and the, the, the punishment was death. And they were ready to stone her, which means they would pick up stones, put her in the middle, and throw stones at her and rocks at her until she died. That's what the plan was. That's what stoning meant. That's a horrific way. And so what happened was they took the woman out, and Jesus just happened to be there. And they asked Jesus, because they wanted to test him. Why do, why do they always wanted to test Jesus? They didn't know what they were going, going up against, did they? Because I want to say this again. Jesus was a genius. Was he not? And you don't mess with him because he's like, he handled this, this one awesome. And so I want to read this. And in John 8, verse 4, it says this. Teacher, they said uh, to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something uh, they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. Uh, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of uh, them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And I love this. This is the key verse. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Isn't that powerful? Here's the, I mean, here's a, a story about Jesus. And they have all these, uh, they have this adulterous woman. They're going to test Jesus. They're like, what are you going to do? So what does he do? He stoops down and writes on the ground. I really want to know what he wrote on the ground. I'm, I mean, I want, when I go to heaven, Jesus. It's like, yep, yep, I had so many people come up to me. This is what I wrote, right? I heard one pastor say this. He stooped on the ground. And what he did was he wrote the mistress's name of everyone that was standing there. It's like, I'm sorry if this is your name, but Mildred. <laughs> you know Mildred. Ethel, huh? You know Ethel real well, right? And I, just writing the mistresses that they had, like, and they're just like, okay, so who's the one that first has no sin? Oh, oh, not, oh, I'm out of here. And everyone disappeared. And then he said to the woman, the most amazing thing, what did he say? Is there, is there anyone accusing you, condemning you? No. Well, neither do I. And go and sin no more. Well, you know what go and sin no more means? You know what? You have a second chance. Hey, you know what? This time, do it better. Don't do that sin. Don't mess up your life. Go and sin no more. I want a better life for you. Isn't that amazing? And the, the reason why I want to start off with this is because I want to make it very clear here in this room. Maybe some of you came into this room and you heard you didn't know what I was going to teach. 
and, you, and I read, you must not commit adultery. And you got a little bit of nervous and, you, and a little bit of sweat on your brow. And you're like, huh, oh, go, what's going on? Because of the fact that maybe you are living in shame. Maybe there's adultery in your life. Maybe your spouse has committed adultery in your past. Maybe you're dealing with it right now and you're going, I came to church on the wrong day. And I want to tell you right now, if that's you, you came to church on the right day because there is no condemnation here. Can I just say that? There is no condemnation here. There is no shame. You are here. You got up for a reason. You wanted to come to church. And a lot of us come to church for different reasons. I want to worship God, right? I want to learn from the Word of God and I want to be mature in Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of reasons why people come to church, they want to be happy. They want, to, they want to find some answers. They want to walk out of here going, okay, I'm a little bit encouraged. I can make it through the week. That's why I go to church. I worship God, but the basic core of my need is that I want to, I want to see what I can make my life. Just, just give me a little bit. And you know what? I want to just tell you, God, if you're in here right now and you're dealing with that and going, oh, man, they're going to talk about that. There is no condemnation here, and I just want to thank you for coming. And I hope my goal is, is that you would walk out of here with a little bit of more hope, a little, little less shame in your life, and a little bit of freedom. And you know what? Go and sin no more and do better. You have a second chance. Grace in the Lord. Amen? Amen? Amen. Um, someone came up to me on Friday night in the back, and he just, he just looked at me straight in the eye. And here's, here's, this is someone that I haven't seen in a while. And um, I was thinking about it. I was just like, man, where is this guy? He looked at me, he's all, yeah, you know what? Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I've, I've been away for a while because, you know what, I've, I've been in sin, to be honest with you, and I was, I was shamed. And I was just like, man, welcome back. Thanks for coming. And, and so I just want to hope you have that, that same feeling here because I'm going to read some scriptures that might, whoa, whoa that's heavy. But I want to make sure that, um, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Um, with that said, here is what the Bible says about adultery. And I'm going to read uh, from Proverbs 6, verse 32. This is the message version. And uh, it's pretty, pretty straightforward here. Adultery is a brainless act. Soul-destroying, self-destructive, expect a bloody nose. <laughs> Do you like this version or what? A black eye and a reputation ruined for good. For jealousy detonates rage in a cheated husband. Wild for revenge. He won't make allowances. Nothing you say or pay will make it all right. Neither bribes nor reason will satisfy him. So here we have a pretty black and white thing about adultery. It's a brainless act. You have no brain. And basically say it's self-destructive. And I love this because it starts off with, you know, because we think of adultery that it's, it's, um, it, it affects the spouse. Of course it does. It destroys the family. It affects the friends and relationships all around you. It's like whatever it is. But first and foremost, I think it is, it's destructive to you. Who does it? The person. I, I, it's, what it's saying here is it's like shooting yourself in the foot. Right? If you have a gun in your hand, it's like, let's see what I'm going to do today. Ah, Boom. And that's what he's saying adultery is. And more so, he's saying, well, you're going to get a black eye from the vengeful husband. So double whammy, right? Don't do it. Don't do adultery. Matthew 5. How many guys remember five, Matthew 5 from last week? One person was here last week. Awesome. I, I, remember, I remember you. Matthew 5 was a sermon on the mount, right? 
I know, I know. Yes, so Sermon on the famous Sermon on the Mount of Jesus. And I read um, last week about murder. And, and Jesus himself addressed murder. And he said, even if you call someone an idiot, you're guilty of murder. And everyone's head's like, oh, I did that today already. Okay, I just did that to my spouse. She's like, you're an idiot. You know? And so here we go. The, the, the following verses, guess what he addresses? Adultery. And so here we are, Matthew 5, verse 27. This is Jesus talking. He says, You have heard the commandment that says, You must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. Can I just stop there? I think that's funny. <laughs> that Jesus says, even your good eye. Does Jesus have a sense of humor? That was a question. I think he does. I'm not sure if he meant to have a sense of humor here, but I know that's like, okay, I'm going to choose my good eye. Oh, I don't want my good eye to go, right? So if, if your eye, even your good eye causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Is Jesus mincing words here? Is he black and white here? Is he pretty firm? Answer is absolutely yes, right? You're going, whoa, man. Okay, well, that's pretty harsh. I got to gouge my eye. I got to cut my hand off if I have a problem. What? You, you talking about, I, you, I, th I thought adultery was the actual act of sexual intercourse outside of the marriage. You're saying even if I look at someone, I should gouge my eye out. Jesus is trying to make a point here, Right? And so my question is, the question that actually occurs is, is Matthew 5, what he says in here, does it contradict what he did in John 8 with the adulterous woman? Is, is, do, are we looking at two different Jesuses here? What do you think? It's the same exact Jesus. And this is what I love about Jesus. This is one of the things I absolutely love about Jesus, was that he had a full measure of grace. Right? He showed it to the adulterous woman. No one accuses you, no one condemns you, neither do I go and sin no more. That's what he said to her, right? Off on your way, you have a second chance, the grace of God, right? You know that she never even asked for forgiveness, but God gave it anyway? That's the full measure of grace. And now on this side, we have Jesus who has the full measure of truth, who's being very harsh here. He's saying, dude, gouge your eye out if you tr have tr trouble with it. Cut your hand off if it causes you sin. It's better for you to do that than be your whole body thrown in the fires of hell. And Jesus here is the full embodiment of truth. And you know what? I love that about Jesus because he, could, he can't, he can't, he is God. He can't go back on truth. He has to be it and he was sharing it. And so here's my encouragement for you guys. Don't you want to be a church like that? I want you guys to be a church like this, right? Because you know what? Everyone is welcome here. Everyone is what with grace, right? But the problem is, if we become too much of a grace church and we're all grace, woo, come on in, whoever, come on in, and everyone is welcome. But then if we water down the truth because of it, says, oh no, you can take that out of the Bible, and you can throw that out of the Bible, it's okay, right? Now we've watered down the truth, and we just have grace, 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 grace. On the other side, we're going to have just truth, 
And we can be, no, truth, we got to hold to this, and you're not welcome here because you're dirty and sinful, boom, boom, boom. And we have all these rules, and we don't, ex- we, don't, we don't welcome everybody. No one's getting saved just because we're, it's like you can't hold to our standard. Jesus was the full embodiment of both. And that's what we got to be. Amen? We got loving and grace, but we're not going to water down the gospel. I'm, I'm sharing you pretty, some pretty harsh stuff here, right? Now, the second question of this scripture is, do we really need to gouge our eyes out and, and our hands and cut off our hands? All the guys are all, can you give me an answer, please? <laughs> if this were true, and I need to confess this, if this were true, I would have a patch <laughs> and a fake arm. And I want to, can I be honest here? A lot of us would be walking in the church. Hey, Bob, how you doing? What's up? Hey, 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 Fred. It's okay. It's like, we're like limping and stuff, whatever it is, right? And let me tell you, is, is Jesus just exaggerating to make a point? Can I, can I just say yes? <laughs> Jesus was a very good speaker. Why? Because people gathered around us. Thousands of people gathered around us. He was a very, he's trying to make a point. Right? And you're going, well, that, whoa, wait, 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 hold to the word. Well, can I, can I use another fancy word that it Googled? Jesus was making a hyperbole. Uh-huh. It's a hyperbole. He was making a, uh, an exaggeration in speech to make a point. Because here's the fact of the matter. Here is the fact, and Jesus knew this as well. Even if you had struggled with lust and, and thoughts of adultery, even if you gouged your eye out and you cut your hand off, guess what? You can still have those lustful thoughts. Correct? You could still have a problem with it and go, man, can I get my eye back? Can I get that? Can you reattach this thing? It didn't work. Right? And what Jesus is basically saying, I'm not talking about a physical, sorry, I'm spitting. I'm not talking about a physical surgery. I'm talking about a spiritual surgery in your heart. I'm talking about a spiritual surgery in your brain. Are you hearing me? That you want, if you want to get rid of this stuff in your life, because I know it destroys people, if you want to get rid of it, do some drastic measures. Do some things that are going to work in your life so they can get rid of it, right? And what I'm saying is, if, you, if you're here and you're struggling with it, and seriously, I've, I've struggled with it too. It's like, you know what? Get away from it. Actually, in Rome, uh, no, sorry, not for Romans, in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, I think this is an interesting verse. Because when you read the Bible, you read the Bible a lot, and it says, be strong and courageous. And have no, don't fear anybody except for the Lord. You talk about stand firm in the Lord, right? We see a lot of these verses right here. But here's a verse that says, it starts off in 1 Corinthians 6, 18, run! It tells you to run. And what are you running from? Sexual sin. It says run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one, uh, one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. So here in 1 Corinthians, Paul is making the same point. Right? Jesus makes a, 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 an exaggeration of gouging your eye out, cutting off your hand. Paul's going, run! It is that destructive. And what he's saying, you know what, for, for our personal lives, if you have uh, problems on the internet, you know what, do something, to, to drastic measures to take care of that. If there's someone at work you have a problem with and you're like, ooh, you're flirting, whatever, then stay away from them. Are you hearing me? Are you guys feeling good? Because here's the, pro- here's the thing, right? If you, and here's a, here's a light example. If you are, uh, you're a snacker. If you love to snack and you decided, you know what, I don't want to be a snacker anymore. I'm going to eat healthy, I'm going to lose some weight, and I'm going to run and do all this, right? Well, if you, if you have committed to that, don't go to Safeway while you're hungry and walk down the snack aisle. 
Are you hearing me? I mean, think about it. It's like, I'm really hungry and I want to commit to being healthy. I'm going to see. I'm going to tip myself. I'm going to see how strong I am. Oreos, you got nothing on me. Vanilla wafers, nope. Nutter butters, oh. Oh. Salt and vinegar chips, oh my goodness. Okay. The new ones, oh. Come on, am I making my point? Stay away from that aisle. Right? Okay, that's enough of that. Jesus was making a point. Makes it, you know why? And you, know what, you know what else what Jesus was saying about this? This is, what, this is what I get out of what Jesus was saying. Jesus is saying, I take marriage seriously because it's a holy thing. So if I, take, if I take marriage seriously, you should take it seriously. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an awesome, awesome thing. And before I talk about marriage, because I actually want to end with talking about marriage, and our view of marriage. And actually, I want to show you, and I hope you guys know, I hope I'm pre- preaching to the choir, that you know what God's view of marriage is. Because seriously, God's view of marriage, seriously, I believe this is my theory, and it's not a theory, it's just, if we actually had a clearer view of God's marriage, adultery would be less, divorce would be less, marriages would be great, well, marriages would be awesome if we actually knew how God viewed marriage, if we actually get it. And I seriously, I'm still learning how God views it, and I want to learn even more. But I want to say this first, because you can take these verses and actually abuse it. Because maybe some of you guys are looking, looking for a way out of your marriage. And the way out is, oh, you committed adultery. Boom, it, I'm out. Because actually, biblically, biblically, you have grounds for divorce. Because Jesus actually gives a concession here in Matthew 5, which is right after what I just read in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. He just says this. But I say that a man who divorces his wife unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. We have a clear verse that says, if you're thinking about divorce, well, you know what? I, and, and Malachi 2.16, God is very clear. I hate divorce. I don't want to see divorce. But then it says here, unless she has been unfaithful, unless there has been adultery, then you'll be able to actually have grounds for divorce. But I want to say here, and I believe with my heart, that this is Jesus' heart, that divorce is the last resort. Are you hearing me? That it's the last resort. And I don't want you to find a way out of your marriage. I don't want you to find grounds for divorce. Actually, I want to encourage you to find grounds for forgiveness and restoration and healing of your marriage. I think that should be the first step. I don't know what situation you're in. I don't know. I don't, under, I don't you know, I, I, I know people have split up and divorced because of it. And you know what? Okay, you had to do what you had to do. But what I'm saying is, when I look at the Bible, the first try is try it out. Try forgiving. Try healing. Try restoration. Because is Jesus able to do that? Come on, I got to ask this question. Is Jesus able to do that? Absolutely. I mean, here's an example I have. I mean, uh, today's example. I'm not, this is not from the Bible. This is someone I know, someone I was close to, actually a mentor of mine, committed adultery. He had kids. He was married for a, a while. And he committed adultery. And I was mad at him. I was mad at him. He went away and they split apart. They separated. They didn't divorce. And he was doing his thing and, and um, she was doing her thing and and. What I found out was she stayed committed to the marriage and she wanted to stay in the marriage because she wanted to restore it. So her option was not to divorce him because she had every right to divorce him. 
biblically, but she decided to forgive him and he confessed and now they're in restoration and they're healing. And the last I heard, this is the last I heard, they're doing good. I'm not saying they're perfect. I'm not saying they're in love and whatever it is, but isn't good better than divorce? Right? They're doing good. And, and you know what? That gives me hope. And so I want to encourage you guys to do that. <clears throat> but why is marriage a big deal? Why, is, why, why, is, why does Jesus have to um, use a hyperbole to make a point? Why um, is it such a serious matter? Like I said before, because marriage is a serious matter. And I want to uh, say why. And I'm going to read some scriptures here. Um, and these, actually, two of these scriptures I use almost in every single wedding that I do. I do a lot of weddings around here, and I think I've done some of your weddings here. Um, and these are the scriptures I always read. And one is from Genesis, and one is from um, Ephesians. And the one in Genesis is great because it's Genesis 2, and that's right after God made heaven and the earth, and, and the earth and the sky, and the sun and the moon, and he made Adam. And Adam was really stoked. Why? Because God made Eve. Right? And so here we, we come to the point of when that actually happened. In Genesis 2, verse 22, it says this, Then the Lord God made a woman from the, rib, uh, woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last! I love that because he's like, dude, at last. <laughs> Woo! I've been waiting for that. I don't know what I was missing, but that's it. <laughs> Boom! Thank you, God. Right? At last, the man exclaimed, and this is the heavy thing. This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. That's a heavy one, right? Um, I want to read from uh, Matthew. I want to read what Jesus says. This is what Jesus said about marriage. And he used this scripture as reference. Matthew 19, verse 4. says, Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied. They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. I love that because Jesus says it. Let no man split apart what God has joined together. And basically, if you are a Christian, and if you are a follower of Christ, what we believe in the Bible, and I, the world doesn't understand this, but what we believe in the Bible from these two scriptures, that when a man and a woman get married within the union, they become one flesh. They become one organism. That is a huge thing that we believe. And I absolutely believe it. Because here's the thing. I think, I think something happens in marriage. And I think something happens in sexual intercourse that we don't even understand. Yes, it's a physical thing. But I believe there's a spiritual thing that happens that we have no comprehension. Do you guys agree? That there's something that happens that God says, I have made you to come together. And you are one organism. It's like a lock and a key, right? You don't switch keys. That's it. That's a lock and a key. You break that key, you lose that key, you got to get a new lock. Right? That's one organism. It's one being. You have to understand that. And I think if we did understand this, I think, I think if the world even got a glimpse of that, right, they would, whoa, that's pretty heavy. Because here's my theory. Because even like premarital sex, sex outside of marriage, you wonder why it hurts so hard when they, it hurts so much when they break apart. 
Because it's almost like ripping a limb off because they don't understand it. It's like, man, you, you, you became one flesh and you made this one pleasurable thing for whatever, how many, this short time, but you weren't ready to make the commitment that that, that, inner, that, that thing is made for. Are you hearing me? Right? You're not, you didn't make the commitment. So when marriage, when a man and a wife come together, it's just your commitment for life. You're one. You don't rip it apart. Right? Let no man... Split it apart. In Hebrews 13, 4, it says, and this is the New King James Version, it says, marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled. I love that because he's saying the bed is holy. The bed, the marriage bed is a holy thing. Don't defile it, right? Now, here's the thing. Can I, can I share an opinion? Not biblical, this is my opinion. Actually, I'm, it's not my opinion. Can I just give credit where credit's due? I stole this from C.S. Lewis. And I talk about C.S. Lewis a lot because, I don't know, he's just a hero of mine. And if you, I, I just want to encourage you guys, go buy the book, which he writ, writ, wrote like, I don't know, 50 years ago. Go, go buy the book, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Anybody read that book, Mere Christianity? Go buy it. Go, go on Kindle and go buy Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. But he has this one little chapter, like literally four pages long about Christian marriage. And he had this idea that I'm like, wow, that's, that's, that's absolutely correct. And what he said was, is that today's age, our culture, because of all the movies and all of our grandiose ideas about love and whatever it is, we've confused and prioritized being in love with, the, with actual love. You get what I'm saying? Here's being in love, and here's what love is, right? And we've actually prioritized, um, here's love, and we've put being in love as the top number one goal. Being in love is a good thing. Don't, let, don't look at me, all, all, you like, all you women are like, you're the killer of love. You're being unromantic. I'm not saying that, okay? I love being in love. You know what, I, and husbands, I think you should be romantic with your wives. And I said this on Friday, which means my, my wife heard me, so I have to be accountable to that, great. So I have to buy her flowers and candy and all that, but um, I will try. <laughs> um, what was I getting at? Okay, so being in love, right? We, we put it all above it, right? And the problem is, being in love is a feeling. And we have prioritized the feeling. Love is an act. It's an act, no matter how you feel, you do it anyway. Right? How many of you guys love roller coasters here? Roller coasters? Don't be ashamed of it. Yeah, I, I do. Right? I love roller coasters because I live in Hawaii and there's no roller coasters here. So when I go to mainland, I go, oh, I'm going to melt this one, right? And I love, you know what I love about the roller coasters? I, I love, not the drop, I love before the drop. It's like, oh my gosh. I love that, I love that. Oh man, this, this is going to be good. And then you hit, the, you hit the thing and you're like, oh man, oh man, oh man. And then you're going down and your stomach's in your throat like, oh, right? That is an awesome feeling. Now, let me ask you this. Would you like that feeling to go on forever? <laughs> Would you like that drop to go, like, ah! Ah! I promise you, no one would want to. But being in love, we have all these grand ideas of being in love, like from movies like The Notebook. I have nothing wrong with The Notebook, but please. I'm just saying, we get these ideas of like, oh, it's the sleepless nights and this feeling of amorous love. And oh man, it's like so you're caught up in the whirlwind of it. Ah, 
can you imagine going a couple years like that? Like, oh, I'll be exhausted. I can't, no way I could do that. <laughs> there is no way I can handle that. And so if you actually look at what you actually promise on your wedding day, or for those of you guys are thinking about, let me tell you, you're not promising to keep a feeling. You're, uh, you're promising to do an act. Are you hearing me? You're not going, I promise you that I would feel in love with you for the rest of, of my life. You're saying, I'm going to love you. I'm going to do the act of love for you for the rest of your life. And that's the problem, right? Because if we put being in love as a priority, think about it. This is, we put being in love as a priority. Well, then guess what? If that feeling goes away in your marriage, guess what you're going to do? You're more tempted to look somewhere else to find that being in love because if that's your priority, then you're going, well, it's not here. Then I have excuse to leave because of the fact that that being in love is not there anymore. So the promise is gone. And we think that's what we promise, but we're not. And let me, let me tell you, you know, I, I, I'm nothing against, I watched The Vow last night, by the way. Anybody watch The Vow? That's a good movie. I was like, well, that's pretty good, right? I, I like, I, I'm nothing against romance, please, okay? Um, because I believe being in love is the engine that started the whole thing in the first place, right? But I think love, if you ever, are there any sequels to love stories? I mean, think about it. Are there, is, is there a notebook to the balding years? <laughs> notebook two, she gained weight. <laughs> notebook two, we've lost that loving feeling. No, because you go, you watch this movie and it's like, oh, we're caught in it and we're like, oh my gosh. And then the credits come and you're like, oh, that's so awesome. There's no reality in it. And here's the beauty about life and marriage. It's real. There's reality. There's going to be times when you have to love your spouse when they are unlovable. When they become unattractive. Are you hearing me? Can I confess something to you? This is something that my wife does not like that I do. And I can't get rid of for some reason. This is a habit that I, I, don't know, I just keep on doing. I like to pick my nose while driving. And if you shake my hand later on, I didn't do that on the way here. I washed my hands. But we've been married, we've been, we've known each other for like seven years. We've been married for five years. And I mean, I, I mean, I'm just like, you know, I'm at the stoplight. I'm just like, I got nothing to do. I'm like, I can feel a stare. I can feel, she's whacked my, like, like, what are, what are you doing? I'm like, oh. I, she just whacked my hand, like, whoa, whoa, what's up? I mean, and I promise you, she's not looking at me like, oh, I am so in love with this. I'm so in love with this guy. Look, look at him. Oh, I'm amorous in love with him. And I know that is a light example, but what I'm saying to you guys is that it, we cannot prioritize the feeling. We have to prioritize the act of love. We have to, because that's what we're committing to. Actually, can I read some of the vows that we actually read? This is the vows that actually a lot of the pastors, we've passed out notes. We've, this is notes passed on from Ralph, Ralph, Pastor Ralph. He gave, he gave us a template for marriage, right? And this is what I actually say at a wedding. Um, 
if you guys know what a, how a wedding goes, is you do the I do's, which is like actually a question. Which is the question is, are you ready to do this? Yes or no? I do. Right? Thank God I've never had a I don't. No. Mm. <laughs> I'm thank the Lord, right? And so what they're doing is I do, and now since you've agreed, I will, sh I will give you the vows and see if you agree to that as well. Because you've already said you do. Okay, let's say the vows. And that's the logical progression of a marriage, right? So this is what we actually say in a wedding. I, I say to them, uh, male, do you take female to be your wedded wife? To have and to hold, to love and to cherish in sickness and in health, in times of good and bad. I do the same thing with the female, ask the same question. Then the vows, I say this, I pledge to, they repeat after me, I pledge to you as my friend, my love, and my companion to love, honor, and cherish as long as we both shall live. Those are good, that's good stuff, huh? And then they put the rings on and they're actually officially married. Okay, maybe not by legal, whatever, they signed the thing, but in front of God, in front of the people, they've made these vows, these promises, because that's what the wedding is all about, the promise, isn't it? The vow. And so here's the thing. One of the lines that I think is one of the heaviest lines is, I think people don't even know what that means. How many of you guys have heard that line before, to have and to hold? In a, in a wedding. To have and to hold, right? To have and to hold. And for a lot of us, I think it's like, to have and to hold, right? It's just kind of like we get to hug each other. There's a very heavy meaning to this. Because what it really is saying, and this is my perception, and this is what I think it says. Because it's, it's, it's a heavy line. To have means... If both of them saying to have, what they're saying is, I am giving my whole self to you. Wow. Which means I, I'm giving you everything of me, my whole being. Which means I agree to the fact that when we come together, we will be one. I am giving you everything. I'm, I, I'm entrusting you with my whole being, my everything. That is to have. And then the whole part which is pretty cool, is that when that person gives it to you, you get to hold that. It's a precious thing that you're holding and that you get to protect and support and respect and love, no matter what, right? In sickness and in health, in times of good and bad. And if you actually look at these vows, nothing of it says, I promise to keep a feeling about you. Right? Right? It says, I promise to do these things for you. It's not about how I feel. It's about what I do. And so what am I saying? If, if you're married out here, if you're, I've said that this morning too. If you're married in here, not out here. If you're married in here, I just want to say, remember your promise. Remember the vows that you made when you got married. I want to look back at my vows and go, wow, yeah, I said these words. You know what? Then how can I do that better? How can I hold to my promise better? Right? Because we can all get better, right? We can, right? I've been, I've, been married for, I've been married for six years. And you know what my example is? My mom and my dad, who's been married for 51 years. <clears throat> my mom and my dad has been married for 51 years. I'm like, that's incredible. I want that. I have a lot to learn. And my wife would agree with you. Yeah, he has a lot to learn. <laughs> right? I have a lot to learn. Um, for those of you who aren't married, and I hope, I hope you single people didn't turn off. I hope you guys are listening. If you're single out here, I want to make sure that you are prepared to make a vow that you know what you're getting into. 
that you're not promising to someone that I will promise to be in love with you. I will promise to love you, which means I will promise to commit you through the times and good and the bad, that I will do the act of love no matter how I feel. And I want to say, can I just say one piece of advice to all the single people out here that, that one day you might be married? Don't lie on your wedding day. Can I just tell you that? Like when you make the promise, don't be lying. And like you might feel like, I'm, 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 I feel like I'm being in love. Just make sure, what you're, make sure what you're promising is that you will do the act of love. And I want to read to you guys the last scripture here. And forgive me, this is a long scripture, but I think it's worth reading. And this is the scripture that I read to all the couples. This is the Ephesians. And, and, and in this scripture... It's talking about the roles of a husband and wife. It talks about wives, you must do this. And husbands, you must do this. And actually, a lot of husbands abuse this one because they say, oh, it says wives must submit to, to me. I'm the head of the, uh, head of the household, like Christ is the head of the church, right? And we use that. But actually, it starts off with this incredible verse. And further, submit to one another. That's what it starts off with. And I want to read this. Verse 21. And further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies, for a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it. Just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of the body, and as, as the scriptures say, a man loves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Wow, we've read that so many times today. That's awesome. This is a great mystery, but in, it is an it's illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Good verse, huh? And it's, it's basically black and white. But the one thing I want to point out, this is not, I'm not speaking to husband and wives now. I'm, I actually want to show you what's inside of these scriptures. What's the reoccurring thing you hear in every single one of these verses? The reoccurring thing you hear in all of this is Christ and the church. Do you get that? Did you see that? Jesus Christ as the head of the church. And we, the church, who's the church? We are. We are his bride. I want to point that out to you. Isn't that an amazing thing? Actually, guys, can we just, come on, let's say it real proudly. We're the bride of Christ. <laughs> We're proud of it, right? I know, it's like, we're the bride of Christ. But that's an amazing thing to, to be in. And the reason why I'm saying that, embedded in these scriptures is saying, you know what? Here's the best example of faithfulness and holding to a promise and how good a marriage can be. And the example is Jesus Christ, our husband. He is faithful. And I want to ask a question for those who know how good our God is. Is God good? Has Jesus been faithful to you? Have you tasted how good he is? And if you're brand new, and if you're coming in here and checking out Jesus, I want to tell you, he is good, and he is faithful, and he will take care of you, and he has your back. And he will set you free, and he has so much to offer you, and he has a plan for your life. I want to tell you right now, I want to proclaim how faithful and amazing our God is as our example. And as if we, 
as Christians, as husbands and wives, as future spouses, if we get an inkling of how faithful and how good our God is, there will be no adultery, there will be no divorce, and marriages will be awesome. Don't you guys agree? If we actually got a glimpse of how good our God is, and I know those things exist. I know that the, the, we're in a fallen world, and please do not feel any condemnation here. What I'm saying is, let's look to Jesus Christ as an example of faithfulness, of how good, an uh, example of a good marriage between Jesus and the church. You know, a good marriage, I believe, a good marriage should have good fights. <laughs> Come on, anybody agree with me? I don't trust a couple that says, we don't fight. I don't trust you. <laughs> You're lying. <laughs> no way you don't fight. There's no way you disagree. I'm sorry, if you, if you guys are good, that's cool. That's awesome. Uh, I fight with my wife all the time. What's going on here? Okay. Um, but what I'm saying is I actually got into a fight with God a couple, couple weeks back. I just, I just was mad at God. And um, because I had some prayers, I'm like, why aren't you answering them? Why aren't these things coming my way? Why aren't you doing anything, God? And I was complaining to him. I was like, God, I am only human. I am 5'2". I am limited resources. I can't do much. You made me this way. I can't reach to the heavens and do all this stuff. And I just said, God, you are God. And God's all, you're right. I am God. And in that moment, I, was remi I reminded myself how awesome my God is, how faithful, and it just calmed, it just calmed me, just the fact that I got mad at him. It's okay, right? As long as you're not ignoring him, get mad at him, just talk to him. He's not offended. And he's going to remind you that he is in control, that he is faithful. Even though it doesn't seem like it, God's all, I am there. You're precious to me, Tom. My church is precious to me. You think I'm going to let it die? You think, I'm going to uh, forsake you? No. I know it seems hard right now, but you have to trust me. Because I am a faithful husband. I believe and I love this church. And if we can get a little bit of that, wouldn't we, wouldn't we better off? Right? Husbands and wives, future husbands and wives. Um, let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, I don't know the stories of everyone in this room, but I know one thing. The story between me and you, and between everybody here and you. And the story is, is that we have been unfaithful to you. We have cheated you. We have been um, adulterers with you because we walked away and we worshiped something else and, and we've... We've, we've went in different directions, but a lot of us here have come back to you and we are reconciled with you and we have a relationship with you and you are an incredible, faithful, amazing God that will never forsake us or leave us and has never failed us and is our cornerstone. And that's what we believe. And I thank you so much that you are the prime example that I get to look at and go, I need to be like that in my marriage. And I just pray for all, every single marriage here that you would strengthen every single marriage here. Every person that has made those vows. I pray that you would strengthen the commitment and that we would remember it's not about being in love even though it's a good thing, right? It's sparked our, our, our marriage but that the, the true love, the love that you offer because actually in the Bible it says you are love. That we would find out the love that you have and that you want to provide and that we learn how to do that kind of love instead, Lord. And even better. 
For those of us who are single, Lord, I just pray, prepare that you would prepare our hearts. Pray that you would prepare our hearts for that one day when we do say those vows, when we do say it and we actually do mean it and that we are committed to do what we need to do and act love. Lord, let there be strong families here. Let, let there be strong marriages and examples, Lord. And for those of us who are struggling right now, Lord, I just pray that you would help them, that you would heal, and that you would restore, and that there would be forgiveness, and that there would be um, compromise, that there would be understanding, that there would be forgiveness. And Lord, it's not going to be an easy road for maybe some couples here, not, not an easy road at all. But Lord, I pray that you would take, we would take the step to, to, to restoration healing God I just thank you for that I thank you that there is no condemnation here you want to heal us you want to take us to a place a place of blessing a place of experiencing your absolute love in our lives